It's Wednesday, June 30th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me today, from the financial capital of the United States of America, it's Maria Gallagher. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me. Apologies in advance to the dozens of listeners for the degrading quality of my voice. Uh, if this keeps up. There's, there's probably if there's no episode of Market Foolery tomorrow, that's why, because this cold is just getting worse. Um, today we're going to talk allocation strategy. We are definitely going to talk about Bumble's new business initiative, but uh, let's start with IPOs because we have already had more IPOs in the first half of this year than we did in all of 2020. There are 18 IPOs this week. That is the most IPOs in a single week since 2004. Before we get into one of the companies going public today, when you step back and look at sort of the state of IPOs, what stands out to you? Yeah, so what's really interesting is, you know, a couple years ago, people said this was the hottest IPO market, and then 2020 kind of cooled things off, but then we're seeing this kind of pent-up demand in this 2021 IPO market. So, I mean, in general, the global equity index has rose to new highs in 2021, and the IPO activity has reached its highest level in over 20 years. I think it's a lot of po- positive market conditions driven by things like government stimulus programs, post-pandemic optimism, improved macroeconomic indicators, improving unemployment, pent-up demand. But uh, the top industries recently for IPOs were the financial sector, then technology, then healthcare. Over 350 SPACs went public um, just in the first quarter of 2021 alone. There were 332 SPACs going public in the first half of 2021, which is more than all of the SPACs in 2020. Um, and so it's been the best performing first quarter by deal number and proceeds, like I said, in the past 20 years. And I think that we're just seeing so much pent up demand and so much of these companies. Um, you know, getting a very positive reception when they come into the market. So they're kind of pushing themselves out at a very rapid pace. I have to say it's kind of good to see this just because we, you know, over the past decade in particular, as a general broad trend, we've seen fewer and fewer public companies. So um, as someone who's interested in investing uh, in companies, um, and also as someone who makes his living talking about public companies, I, I like the way that this is going. Yeah, and it's kind of interesting. You've also seen in the past 10, 15 years, companies coming uh, public at much later stages. So unicorns aren't very rare anymore, the way that unicorns used to be rare. So we're also seeing kind of a range in how big those IPOs are, which I think is good for public market investors. So you're saying um, we're still at the beginning innings of a company as opposed to Airbnb coming public as already a household name. Everyone already knows what Airbnb is. So I think seeing that range is something that's exciting for me as an investor to try and get in on those companies more at the ground floor. Well, let's get to one of the companies that's going public today, and that's Clear Secure, the frequent flyer identification company. I was actually in an airport uh, over the weekend. Uh, I wasn't flying anywhere. I was just meeting someone for lunch. Because, um, you know, that's, that's how classy I am. I like, I like, I like to have lunches in airports. Um, and sure enough, there was a big, you know, uh, set, you know, set up uh, for Clear. So I, I think most people who have flown are, are at least familiar with Clear. Um, it's trading under the ticker symbol YOU. Clear went public at 31. It opened a little bit higher than $38 a share, and at the moment is somewhere around $42 a share. Is this a business that um, you've taken a look at? And, and if so, how interesting is Clear? 
It's pretty fascinating. So like you said, it's a biometric security company. So it helps you zip through the airport security lines. It uses eyes, face, and fingerprints to automate your identity verification. And so it launched in 2010. It's popular among frequent flyers where you can purchase a subscription for about $180 a year. But what you see is that during COVID, they actually launched the Health Pass, which is a major new feature of this app that securely stores your COVID information. So that's gained traction not only in airports, but in stadiums for sports events and stadiums for live entertainment events. One third of the NBA teams are using it to enforce COVID protocol for pan for fans. Um, and so I think that this is kind of a pivot that you want to see in leadership of when there's something that will hurt the majority of their business, like a global shutdown of travel, when most of their revenues were from airports, that they shifted to something also, um, also profitable and also uh, building their brand awareness and can be utilized by many people. So I think that that makes me more interested in the leadership that they were able to pivot so well. And I just think that um, Everyone hates going to an airport. I don't know anyone who <laughs> enjoys going. So if there's something, I that's mean, unless unless you're going for lunch, you know, if, if <laughs> you don't have if, if you don't sit. have to go through the security line and you're just meeting someone for lunch, it's uh, it's kind of nice. Uh, yeah, I don't know anyone other than you that does that. <laughs> but um, I mean, $180 a year for someone who's a frequent flyer, I think that's kind of a no brainer. It's a very reasonable price point. I do think that it'll be interesting, you know, if it gets rapid adoption, it's one of those things where you want it to still be premium, because if a lot of people use it, and then I go and the clear lines just as long as the regular line, that's a problem for me as a traveler. So it'll be interesting to see as they scale, how they maintain um, the exclusivity that is the reason people will want to use it and what that will look like for them. So I think that they might go into some barriers, but they're still so small. They're still growing. I don't think that'll be a problem yet. But um, in, in the future, I think that that could be kind of a logistical problem that they'll have to work out. Our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com. Got a note from Ian Meek in Scotland. He writes, I started buying stocks in February 2020 and have done rather nicely thanks to the guidance from Motley Fool Podcasts and your stock advisor service. I am aware that this past year has not been a normal one for investors and that 100% returns are not standard. And let me just add parenthetically, that's great. I love, I love that Ian instantly has the perspective like, yeah, I know, this is, <laughs> this is not what I should be expecting every year for the rest of my life. He goes on uh, to say, my portfolio of 35 stocks consists mainly of full favorite uh, tech and fintech stocks. In 10 years, I'll be in my mid-50s with retirement suddenly not so far off, and I don't really see myself reallocating to conventional value stocks like Procter & Gamble, Unilever, Kimberly-Clark, uh, Kimberly etc. Is it sensible to instead switch to tech behemoths like Microsoft and Apple, they can hardly be described as riskier growth stocks anymore, can they? Love all the full podcasts and services. Keep up the good work. Thank you for that, Ian. Um, it is, you know, he, it's a great question, and it also raises something that I've been thinking about recently, which is that um, what, what we consider to be safe, steady, quote-unquote, blue-chip investments really has evolved. Because for a long time, it was companies like Procter & Gamble and you know, IBM and Kimberly-Clark and Unilever. And it's like, well, you're not going to make a ton of money year over year on these stocks, but they're going to be steady dividend payers and you'll, you'll increase in value a little bit, that sort of thing. I, I kind of like the way he's thinking on this because I'm, I don't know about you, I'm surprised at how well Microsoft and Apple have 
done, uh, not Apple so much, but definitely Microsoft. I'm surprised at how much that stock has increased in 2021. Yeah, I think it's a great question. Also kind of raises in the beginning, he talked to you a little bit about like, you know, what even is a tech stock? Uh, because any company that's doing well is a company that utilizes technology. Some example uh, that I always think of of one of the best technology plays is Domino's Pizza. They've done amazing things with their technology. And so understanding, well, the technology at Domino's Pizza is very different than CrowdStrike or a cybersecurity play or Intuit who owns TurboTax, which is a much steadier grower. Um, and so I do think understanding your risk tolerance, I think this is a very self-aware investor, which I think is one of the best things you can be as an investor is understanding your own risk tolerance, understanding your time horizon. So I think he's already starting off super strong with that awareness. So thinking through, okay, um, I want to get into maybe a little bit less riskier plays, understanding what that overall portfolio looks like. I think that going into some of those tech names that are maybe steadier growers like a Microsoft, like an Apple, like an Intuit, and understanding, well, this has a really solid track record. I can probably understand what's going to happen in the next five to 10 years for these companies, as opposed to a newer or more faster growing company that's, well, They've been around for a couple years. I don't know what the next 10 years looks like for them, but it could be really exciting um, understanding where all of those types of companies fit into your portfolio. But I definitely think that for me, when I think about being more conservative, it's not I don't automatically go to a Procter and Gamble. I would go to something a bigger like a Microsoft or saying, OK, I'm going to be diversified with all of these different avenues. And yet I think it's important to realize that the narrative for businesses like Procter & Gamble is probably not going to change. And by that I mean there will always be people, uh, some of whom are well-meaning, um, who will say to you, well, now that you're in your mid-50s, you need to start rotating it. Like Procter & Gamble, household products, everybody needs those. People buy that stuff, whether there's a, you know, an economic boom or there's a recession. Like that rationale for these types of businesses, I think it's always going to be the same. Yeah. And I mean, they have that reputation for a reason. They, General Mills has the reputation of being a steady dividend payer because it's been a steady dividend payer. So not to knock those companies, I think that there are parts of your portfolio that can benefit from having those types of companies in it, but understanding where you want those, where you want um, maybe those medium growers, where you want those fast growers. And I think maybe just balancing your portfolio to understand where all of these fit into your kind of broader investing journey is really important. But yeah, I think people will always tell you, I think, um, you know, once you're getting a little bit older, make sure you have bonds, make sure you're invested in those blue chip companies. And so understanding what that means and understanding where that fits into your portfolio, I think is the, the best thing that you can do. On July 24th, Bumble, the dating app where women make the first move, Bumble is going to open a cafe in New York City. It is called Bumble Brew. It is a cafe and wine bar. Julia Smith, the head of partnerships at Bumble, says the cafe is going to be a safe space for healthy and equitable relationships and connections. Okay, so <laughs> I, I, I can't promise I'm not going to make a couple of jokes here, but um, l let's start with this. And that's great that the, that's the way they're approaching this, but I don't know about you, Maria, but when I think about whether or not I'm going to go into a cafe, my first question is usually, how good's the food? Like, I get yeah. that it's a safe space and all that. Tell me about what's on the menu and how good is the, the wine and the coffee and, and that kind of thing. 
So I was confused. I thought that this was a cafe where you go to meet people to potentially date. So you just sit there and wait for someone to come up to you. But this is apparently a cafe where you pre-plan to go with a date. I think. So so I'm on travel in New York City and I walk by Bumble Brew and I'm, I'm just on business travel by myself and I'm like, why? Well, I, could, I could use some coffee. I can't go in by myself. Like that's, I don't know. It's very unclear. And I do think that as a business, I think saying, okay, everyone who's going on a date, go to this place. If you're going on a first date and they take you to the laziest place to go on a first date, I just wouldn't be impressed by that. As opposed to, you know, there are lots of cool places to go in New York. I think it makes more sense if it's, this is a place where speed dating happens or something where it's, you go there to meet a person as opposed to you have already met a person and you're going there to hang out. So all joking aside, what do we think of this strategy of a dating app opening a bricks and mortar cafe. Because one of the first things I thought of was when Urban Outfitters years ago decided they wanted to, um, they bought a, a pizza place, I think somewhere in the Philadelphia area. Um, it, it, this is a relatively new public company. Uh, I think just in the last 12 months, Bumble um, has gone public. It, I don't know. I think if, you, if you're someone who bought shares of Bumble, you did your research, I don't, are you happy today? Because I don't think you are. I think part of your rationale if you bought shares of Bumble was, oh, this is an asset light business. This is a tech business. And now they're putting some amount of money, maybe it's uh, fractionally a tiny amount of money, but they're, they're allocating capital towards running a restaurant, which is historically a tough business to do well in. I also think in terms of user experience. So if you're talking about a company like Peloton, I think that that makes sense for Peloton to have a storefront in New York, um, to have a place where you can go and try out their bikes and take a class because Peloton has control over what that experience will be like for the user in terms of how they hire their instructors and what the atmosphere is. Bumble has very little control on who a person goes on a date with and what that experience is. So I just think that that's inherently a riskier kind of business model to say you might have the worst date of your life at this place, or it might be the best date of your life. And it's really, there's not much that Bumble can do to control what your experience is at that cafe, which I think is a very risky move for them. I think the great thing, uh, if only for you and me, is that a year from now, we're going to know how this played out. Because a year from now, I think Bumble is either going to come out and say, oh, this was a hit, and now we're opening one in LA and Chicago, and you know they're just going to be popping up all over the country, or they're going to very quietly shut this thing down. Uh, yeah, I was thinking about it. Um, I waitressed all throughout college, and one of the best aspects of being a waitress was witnessing first dates because it's very <laughs> funny and very endearing. And so I was thinking, honestly, I think it'd be really fun to be a barista at this Bumble Cafe. Uh, and so I just think that if you're interested in working somewhere, that would be, I imagine, a very fun place to work. Maria Gallagher, great talking to you. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Austin Morgan. 
I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. The market is closed on Monday. Just keep that in mind if, if we're not here tomorrow. The market is closed on Monday, so maybe we'll see you on Tuesday. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.